Hi, and welcome to Nation State of Play. I'm your host, Brian Miller. On each episode of this podcast, we explore high-impact topics determining the future of our nation's state. Our guest today is Dr. Sujin Gaitlin-Jez, Executive Director of California Competes, a leading advocacy group focused on workforce development and education issues throughout the state. Sujin joins us to discuss the changing education needs of California during the age of COVID. I hope you'll listen to this important episode. Great. Well, Sujin, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's really great to have you. Thanks for having me. Could you tell us a little bit about your organization and what you focus on? Yeah. So um, our full name is California Competes, Higher Education for a Strong Economy. And we focus on solving the state's thorny social and economic problems by conducting rigorous higher ed um, and workforce policy research. We see higher ed as both a vaccine and an antidote against economic stagnation for individuals and the state's economy. So our work in higher education focuses on the bond between equity and the economy. And we believe that if you care about the economy, you have to care about the people who feel the economy and vice versa. So you said you focus on the research side of it. Do you then use that research to advocate for specific policy changes? That's right. Um, so our I could talk more about like our specific strategy, but um, we lead with research um, that's identified through the guidance of our leadership council, um, which is made up of highly respected bipartisan executives and community leaders from across the state, um, and then conversations that I and the staff have with um, institutional and segment leaders, um, with folks in the capital and around the state to understand sort of what are the needs around higher ed related to building our state's economy. Um, and so we lead with that research and answering questions and then focusing on taking that research and identifying fiscally pragmatic, actionable solutions um, and then making sure that people, you know, we get those solutions into the right hands and we help, you know, we provide advice and technical assistance to help folks implement those solutions also. Great. Well, could you talk a little bit more about that process? Because I think, you know, education in this state is such a confusing issue. There's so many different entities that are involved in it. Who really makes the policies and the, and, and the, the goals that you're talking about? Is it the Board of Regents? Is it different le- levels of education? Maybe sometimes the legislature? Yeah, it, California is pretty complicated. It depends. Um, is sort of the <laughs> the answer. Um, so our three main higher ed, public higher ed segments are governed differently. Um, and then of course there are, California has a robust um, private um, higher education segment also. Um, so the University of California is governed by the UC Regents and the University of California has um, constitutional authority. So in many ways, um, the UC sits in our state constitution um, and has a lot of you know, control over what it does. Um, and the legislature has less control over governing the UC. Um, at the sort of other end of the spectrum around governance are the California Community Colleges. And they were born out of a K-14 system. Um, and so I think folks are pretty familiar with how K-12 is governed with local school districts and school boards. And our community colleges are governed in the same way. They have um, local districts with elected, um, an elected board that handles the governance for the community colleges. So they're locally governed. Um, and then the CSU is sort of in between. It has, um, it's more centrally governed with the CSU trustees. Um, and 
they, you know, um, I feel like have probably more of a typical, like what people would think about a typical higher ed governance structure of the trustees, you know, um, set policy for the CSU system. Um, and of course the legislature, you know, can write bills that impact higher education, of course. Um, and of course the governor has um, his um, soapbox also and ability to shape legislation um, through, uh, you know, the typical sort of ways in Sacramento. Um, and then there's also the California Student Aid Commission. So California has a very robust state financial aid program. And so the California Student Aid Commission can also shape policy for higher ed through the Cal Grant um, programs. So um, uh, probably the clearest example is around private um, institutions in California, particularly private for-profits. Um, so at some point CSAC um, set guidelines for who can qualify for like what institutions students can receive Cal Grants. And so they can sort of set um, policy that impacts higher ed in that way. So they could say, you know, this person, you know, there should be this default rate or these types of outcomes or students must have this GPA. Um, so, and that really impacts um, who gets financial aid and can shape what institutions do. And then, the, you know, the private separately, um, the private independents, um, you know, sort of exist on their own. Um, they have um, an association that, you know, helps them around governmental affairs issues. And then the private for-profits largely um, are overseen by the Bureau for Private Secondary Ed, which sits in the Department of Consumer Affairs. Um, technically, uh, the Bureau oversees all private higher ed, but institutions that are regionally accredited are exempt from oversight. So which really leaves those that are nationally accredited or not accredited, which are largely the private for-profit institutions. Phew, so it's complicated. It's probably, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's an alphabet soup of involved in California, but that's a great overview for the listeners because I think a lot of us have bumped into like different levels of these organizations, but getting a, a sense of it's right. Let, let me ask you one more question about the legislature's role. So does the legislature get involved from an oversight perspective in terms of funding at all, or would it typically have to be some sort of legislative issue that, that they're weighing in on? Uh, either way. Um, so we see the legislature get involved around financing um, higher ed. So um, uh, Proposition 98 um, set the sort of spending, the state spending on K-14. Um, the goal was to set um, a floor for spending on education, K-14 education, and end up really being a ceiling. Like we never pretty much ever spend more than what Prop 98 um, dictates the state needs to send on spend on K-14. Um, and then the battle or the conversation or the changes um, in the past number of years around community college uh, finance has really been around how is it determined who gets what? So, you know, there's the slice of pie, but which colleges, which districts get what amount of money? So it's it's somewhat equivalent to the conversations during um, Governor Brown's era around the local control funding formula in K-12. Um, I, I clearly draw a lot of analogies to K-12 because I feel like people follow that a lot more closely. Um, and so, and they, and they tend to be a, a step ahead in some of these reforms. Um, and then for, um, 
you know, uh, higher ed, the CSU and UC, it's in the, the Budget Act where we see, you know, every year that's negotiated what the CSU and UC will get. There's not a, a formula like Prop 98 that the community colleges are under. Um, but on top of that, there's other, you know, legislation that impacts higher ed. Um, so I'm thinking about this year, um, there was a bill trying to promote um, short-term training that would be a sort of joint effort between the California Community Colleges delivering the short-term training, sitting under, I think it was um, the Employment Training Panel in the Department of Labor um, and Workforce Development. Um, so there's a lot of legislative programs, Strong Workforce Program, um, Student Success Act for the Community Colleges. Um, so a lot of these are, as I'm saying this, a lot are, are tend to be much more targeted towards the community colleges. Got it. Really helpful. Well, so I'd love to pivot now and talk about your policy priorities. I'm particularly interested in how these have changed in the age of COVID and, and what you see as you know, really the key, the key drivers here to get the economy back on track. So you know, in, in, no, in no particular order, one, one thing I know that you've been active on is um, really invigorating higher ed and employer advisory groups and partnerships. Could, could you explain more about what that is? Yeah, so our California Good Peeps, our policy priorities focus, um, particularly in this year, has been focused on building a pathway to economic recovery for Californians and advancing the skills they need to rebuild our state's economy in this in this crisis. Um, and so our, our priorities can be pretty broad, but one piece of that are thinking about the higher education employer um, partnerships. And one thing that we keep hearing over and over is the need for higher ed to be more responsive to workforce needs. Um, and there have been a lot of efforts and a lot of thinking um, around sort of what higher ed could do. Um, we saw some of that in the governor's January budget around, um, he had you know language around institutions addressing the some college no degree population, which is much more um, employment focused. Um, like that population is going back to college because they want a better job. Um, we saw uh, funding for UC and CSU extension, um, you know, for apprenticeships, for work-based learning, all this good stuff. Um, and we really feel like the approach that we are thinking about at California Good Peeps takes, steps it back a little bit, um, is we think that what we need to do is build connections between higher ed institutions and employers, and then let them determine what's the best way to actually execute and implement a connection that allows um, higher ed for graduates to get good jobs, frankly, that's the goal. Um, and so that may be, you know, more internships, um, that may be something else. Um, and so what we've really thought about is there are a lot of these partnerships that already exist across the state. There's a lot of policies that require them. So like federal, um, Workforce Innovation Opportunity Act funds require them. The Perkins dollars that go um, to K-12 and community colleges require these sort of advisory groups. Uh, strong Workforce also requires regional consortia that include um, employers in higher ed. Um, and a lot of them are really amazing, but a lot of them could use some support. Um, and so we've spent some time thinking about how do you revitalize these partnerships that already exist to make sure that they are, you know, meeting their potential. Um, and those partnerships that are really successful have, um, 
had great gains. They've had they've included you know employers um, early on in the development of programs or the revision of programs to understand like what does a new advanced manufacturing program need? What does biotech need? Um, I was a statistics major. What do like data you know data analytics and data science is hot now? Um, what does that actually mean? Um, and then having the employer engage through the program, whether that's a guest lecturer, even teaching a whole course, advising, providing internships, um, there's a myriad of ways that employers can stay engaged through the program. Um, and then the goal is at the end, once employers, since they've been engaged in the development and delivery of the program, they can, um, they'll be excited about the graduates and what they've learned and happy to hire them. So that is the goal. And, um, I think, you know, we've heard from the governor's office around the number of folks in California with a bachelor's degree that are still struggling. Um, and while we know, like, the bachelor's degree is the key for economic mobility, and those with a bachelor's degree are doing much better in this moment, um, we're still not doing a great job transitioning students right out of college into good jobs. And then I worry a little bit that the students that aren't getting good jobs are those that are first generation, that are students of color, that are low income, that don't have great um, professional networks that they can, you know, transition to. And higher ed hasn't seen, largely has not seen itself um, as being sort of a career development, uh, having a big career development role. So we're trying to trying to push that sure. and let them see that that's really important. So, so who who can change this? You know, it's, it makes perfect sense what, what you're talking about. Is there a role for the legislature here? Is there a role for the governor? Is this something that has to be done at the university individual level? Where, where does where does action need to happen here? You know, I think there's it could happen at any of those places, frankly, um, and a lot of it is happening already at many of those places. Um, it, locally, what we'll see is um, like a faculty member or a dean that really cares and has the re those relationships and develops a really robust partnership or collaboration with an employer. Um, and that's great. The tricky part is that really depends on that individual and their relationship. So when that person moves on or retires, um, um, those programs can sort of falter. So we also want to make sure that we create a backbone that can survive an individual um, and you know, their relationships when they leave. Um, it requires campus leadership caring about that. You know, just like any other employee, higher ed employees are also responsive to what is valued at my organization and in my institution. And if um, focus on career development is not valued at your institution, you know, you're not gonna find a lot of people doing it. Um, and then that sort of moves up, you know, campus leadership are responsive, responsive to their system leadership and then system leadership is responsive to, you know, where they're getting the money, which is the state government. Um, so we think that it's critical that we see this across the board. Um, but the, I think the, these things have to be regional and industry specific to be successful. Um, you can't have someone in Sacramento saying every campus needs to have a biotech um, partnership. You know, biotech may not be something that people in um, Lassen County need. I made that up. Um, they might, biotech might be big in Lassen County. I don't know. Um, <laughs> you can't, you know, every region, every locality is gonna have a very specific thing because they're gonna have a an employer with a specific need. So the state policy has to support sort of the framework for 
you know, local institutions for institutions to be able to develop what their locality needs, what their students need. Well, let's take maybe one of the examples of um, levels of education who you're working with on this. Has the CSU been responsive to, to your, your positions on this? Um, I had to think about that for a moment. Um, I would say this is not something that we have been in conversation with the CSU around much. Um, this is something we've been in conversation with the California Community Colleges more with. Um, and then, uh, you know, in the, during the UC president search, this is something that we talked to um, the regents and the search committee as we think that this should be something that the new UC president is attentive to. Um, I think particularly the UC doesn't necessarily see itself um, focused on workforce development. Um, but given the UC stature in the state, we think it's important that they, they set a tone around this um, was our position much more there. I've had conversation with um, programs in the CSU that do some of this work um, that we think is interesting and are thinking about, you know, trying to elevate some of that, um, like the C-Superb effort in the CSU. And I don't know what C-Superb stands for off the top of my head, but they focus on um, student, like um, uh, engaging students in research um, around biotech. Um, and it's based out of the director or an director's at CSU San Marcos and clearly San Diego is um, a biotech hub for our state. Um, and they've done some really interesting work around employer partnerships too. Great. So you've also been talking lately about credit for prior learning. Um, can you explain to the listeners what the changes that you think needs to happen here? Yeah, so one thing that, um, you know, higher ed, sort of like every other system, um, was designed for a population and a need, and that's changed dramatically since higher ed was created. And um, a higher ed does a pretty good job, frankly, with the traditional college student who's like, you know, straight out of high school, into college, goes to a selective or elite institution. Um, the, the thing is that that's no longer today's student, or it's a, you know, it's a minority um, uh, you know, a, fr a small fraction of today's students. And so one thing that we have been thinking about is how can higher ed systems shift to serve today's students better, um, given that, you know, a, a growing number of students go do not go directly to college, um, more students are dropping out and trying to come back later. Um, and these students have um, done some like really advanced learning outside of outside of higher ed or they've even done learning in higher ed that doesn't count for credit. Um, so how can we acknowledge a lot of that work? And so one way to do that is uh, credit for prior learning, which is sort of as it sounds, is when you step into an institution, if you've done college level learning elsewhere that you can get credit for it. Um, so this is something that, I mean, it's been around for like a hundred years, um, but it's really growing in um, interest in sort of being more around the core of the work that institutions do. The California Community Colleges um, are advancing this work. Um, and I think they, well, I'm thinking by December, um, they should have, every community college should have a plan around um, more comprehensive and wider use around credit for prior learning. Um, the CSU um, has an executive order around credit for prior learning and they're looking to revise that. Um, and so we're hoping to, 
um, help the CSU think that through and ensure that, you know, changes are equitable and doesn't put the burden on the students um, and also, you know, gives faculty the ability to do the work well. Um, and then the, the UC doesn't really have a credit for prior learning policy. Um, so this is something that we're thinking about, like, how do we, how do we get the UC on board and what does that look like for them? Um, so this is work we think is really, really, really critical. How has that issue changed in, in the age of COVID in, in any way from your, from your perspective? Yeah, I think these, these models for thinking about how students enter higher ed um, and get credit for their work have grown in importance. We're going to see more students dropping out, sadly, that wouldn't have dropped out if, you know, we didn't have this crisis. Um, one thing we're also seeing is that adult students, those over 25, are citing as one of their biggest barriers to enrolling in higher ed is fear and fear of not belonging, that they're not college material. Um, and that's more than even, um, that's a bigger barrier they mentioned than cost. Um, and so one thing that having a more comprehensive credit for prior learning policies will send us a clear signal that, you know, there's not like a college material, there's not like a prototypical college student. Um, and that, you know, the learning that you're doing um, on the job is really critical. I was doing, um, um, uh, I was speaking earlier today on this, and one thing that I shared, I know this is a podcast, so people can't see it, but um, my dad was in the Air Force for 20 years, and these are like, I'm holding my hands, um, dozens of like course completion certificates resulting in hundreds of hours of course, um, of courses he took while in the military. And when he left the military, um, he went to a community college to see about, um, you know, matriculating. And he was directed and then redirected to different offices about getting credit for his courses. Um, and then ultimately he was asked to provide information that he just didn't have access to and he gave up and, you know, his career suffered for it. Like he was, ne he never got a degree. He never had any college credits for that. Um, but if he had done that work anywhere else, you know, it would have counted for credits. Um, and it's not just a lot of it's technical. He was a, you know, an airplane mechanic, um, but a lot of it wasn't. A lot of it was like leadership courses or writing or communications. Um, so it's just, um, it's, it's, it's really tragic because our system is set up to award credit for certain types of students, which tend to be, you know, more fluent students um, with well-educated parents. And those students that do other types of learning, whether it's in the Air Force, um, whether it's through apprenticeships, um, whether it's sort of like tracks that are not for like typically upper class students, um, they don't get credit for the, the learning that if they had gone to, you know, Sacramento State, they would have gotten units for. Got it. No, great. Um, really, really uh, important example. Thanks for bringing that up. So, so lastly, let me ask you about um, this idea about having a higher ed coordinating entity. That, that's sort of a hot topic at the moment. What, what is, what's your take on this? Yes, so this has been um, an issue that California Can Beats has focused on, I think, since our inception, frankly. Um, in I, 2020, COVID-19, racial justice movements has made higher education coordination even more critical. And I know that's been the mantra, the mantra of 2020 is now more than ever. And I think um, this is so true for higher ed coordination. The like affordability, access, time to degree are systemic challenges and students in California they're attending multiple institutions, they're encountering similar problems, um, and 
we don't have a way to address this across systems. Um, and while each segment, the UC, the CSU, et cetera, has important efforts to address these issues, fundamentally, these are systemic problems that um, transcend any single institution or segment and require systemic solutions. But we don't have anything to actually do that. Um, so um, this has been something that has been, you know, I mentioned that California Competes has been pushing this for, you know, at least 10 years. Um, and many others, um, legislators, um, you know, Evan Lowe most recently, and one of our leadership council members, Carol Liu, when she was in legislature, have introduced bills for this, but there's been, you know, oh, no appetite from Governor Brown and Governor Newsom, even though he campaigned on this, um, now is no longer supportive. Um, and I, you know, the governor has made some important first steps towards coordination. Um, he introduced in last year's budget, um, the cradle to career data system, which um, will allow K-12 and higher ed, the public segment, and even including the private um, to share data so that we can sort of see student progress across systems. Um, and where the, the plan is, um, I said on one of the advisory groups, is we're also connecting other key governmental programs and services and um, economic outcomes like workforce outcomes. I think it'll be really powerful um, so we could at least see what's happening. Um, and that's really critical, um, but sort of understanding what's going on is one step. We, we need to be able to do something. Um, the governor's also created a post-secondary educational council that's made up of the CEOs of the public higher ed segment, um, the head of the um, organization that represents private independent colleges. Um, it includes labor and workforce, K-12. Um, and we appreciate the focus on relationship building, but we need, you know, an agency or an entity that has staff. We need it to be independent. We need to be transparent. And we need to not just be advisors to the governor. Um, so, you know, we think that's a step forward, but we really need something that's going to actually do the work to solve some of these problems that are really intractable. Um, so, and I think this year we've seen some real, you know, really significant issues around do we, you know, um, close campuses? Should things be online? What guidance do we give students? When do we make that decision? When do students need to know by and families need to know by? What happens to financial aid? Um, you know, but most recently, you know, the intercollegiate athletics, um, you know, it sort of like runs the gamut that this agency or department or office, um, whatever it is, um, could really help the state and figure out and, and do it sort of with the state's interests in mind writ large, not any spe like specific segments interests. Um, we've seen other things that have happened, you know, the CSU proposed um, admissions changes um, requiring a fourth year of quantitative reasoning. Um, and that has big impacts, not just for the CSU, but, you know, if they require this, then K-12, they have to then change their models to make sure they have enough you know, teachers to teach math, which has been a real challenge um, to make sure all the students that now need a fourth year of math to get into the CSU, their school offers a fourth year of math. Um, does the UC respond in kind? Or do we go back to the days when the UC and CSU had different course requirements? Um, so all these things just have, you know, rippling effects. And I could, you know, I could name a million things where if we had a coordinating entity, it would be so helpful and would be better for Californians.
So you mentioned that Governor Newsom campaigned on it, but doesn't support it anymore. What, what's been his explanation for the change in position? Um, he thinks that the Post-Secondary Education Council um, is really addressing the coordination needs and that the cradle to career data system um, you know, is also going to really help in the, the coordination, which you know, we agree with that you know, these, are, these are good steps, but we think we need more. So uh, will you have a bill in the next session to, to push this again? Um, that is a great question. Um, we will support a bill if it's introduced, um, definitely. But will we introduce a bill um, or push one? Great. I don't know. Great. Well, um, listen, great, great to have you on. Time's flown by. I could, I could keep you all days. But if people want to know more about your work, get involved, support your organization, where should they go? Yes. Um, definitely go to our website. It's californiacompete.org. Um, and you could find all of our fantastic research um, there. And you could also see what we're up to where we're speaking. Um, and we also have our California Post-Secondary to Prosperity Dashboard, um, which is this online data tool. So you can look at um, what's going on in California, um, broken down by region and race, ethnicity, gender, all that good stuff from post-secondary to workforce or prosperity. Um, and we are also on social media. You can find all the links on our website. We're on Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook. Um, and yeah, I'm on Twitter, not the rest. Great. Um, and what's your Twitter handle if somebody's looking for it? That is a great question. It is, um, I think, Sujin Jez, S-U-J-I-N-J-E-Z. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for making the time today. Great to have you on the show and really appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me. It's fine. Thanks for listening to Nation State of Play. Our producers are Hannah Miller and Jacqueline Artiaga. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. For more information, click through the link on your podcast app to our homepage.